Turn with me in the New Testament, it's about halfway through to the book of Colossians. So we as a family have been repainting the outside of our house over the last couple of weeks. Um, to be honest, it's been something we've been putting off for a very long time uh, because it's just a lot of work and we've got a dog who runs around and gets covered in paint and all that kind of nonsense. Um, our house is quite old and it's been quite amazing actually that after we've chose the colours and as the walls have been painted to kind of see this house find a bit of new life and a bit of a, a makeover, Right. So over the years, I mean, we've lived in this house for about as long as this church. Uh, so we've been living there for about nine years. And uh, we've been privileged to be able to do a couple of minor adjustments to the place. One of the first things we needed to do was, uh, because before the church even started, I mean, there was no such thing as Riverside. We had no offices. It was just really me. So I needed an office, somewhere to meet people, somewhere to counsel, somewhere to prepare sermons and to pray. So one of the first things we did was convert uh, kind of the domestic quarters into an outside office for me. And, and that's been such a place kind of, of peace for me and of joy. Prepared hundreds of sermons, prayed hundreds of hours. I promise you I have. Uh, uh, read hundreds of hours of books in there. And it's, it's not quite a man cave, but it's, it's really a special space for me. Uh, we've also been able to kind of take our living area. And as we started having life groups in our house, we realized, man, we want more space and we want to open up the space. So we were able to kind of bash some walls down and open things up uh, and just make it a bit of a warmer environment to have people in our home. Uh, one of the biggest transformations, though, in our house has been the back garden. Uh, when we moved in there, uh, Levi was six months old and he would go like from here to next, so just a few feet, and he would be crying his eyes out because his hands and his knees would be covered in thorns. And this was kind of beyond repair. So we realized we needed to do something drastic. So he pulled up all the lawn and, and there were kind of dying trees and these privets and uh, we decided to take all of that out and left us with a bit of a shock because after we had done all of that, we had this kind of weird stinky new lawn and just this precast gray wall at the back. And really it was unsightly. Uh, but then you get Bianca, my wife. And if you know anything about her, she knows how to make things beautiful. I think because she is so beautiful. Huh? <laughs> and she's not even here. So there's no brownie point. So I must mean it, right? But just taking a uh, cutting here and a snipping there, and I, I don't have green fingers, but she kind of makes her way. And eventually we've got it to this point where, I mean, just the last few years, especially after a summer rain, you know, when the colors are saturated and the sky is gray and moody, just look outside and just, wow, our garden is really looking good. And for that reason, we've really been able to open up our home to life group and to have guests in there. And we've been able to have other people's birthday parties and engagement parties in our home. And it's been such a festive space for us. But now what good would it be if we went to all that effort? In fact, if we went to way more efforts, what good would it be if we put in the most expensive furniture and the highest quality fittings and all the latest technology and put hundreds of thousands of rand of gardening stuff into our garden? What good would it be if you came to my house and you're like, wow, what a beautiful house. And as you left, Bianca and I started ripping each other's throats out. I mean, what, what could it be if, if you guys come around and you're so impressed by what you see, but we're kind of sleeping in separate bedrooms and our families being torn apart. You see, the real essence of home is not the building. Now, there's nothing wrong with, you know, 
updating your home and making things look good and feel good, right? But if the real essence of home is missing, what good is it to do all those kinds of things? And so what really makes a home a home, and we were even chatting to our boys about this the other day, is that, man, even if we had to lose everything and kind of set up a tent underneath a tree, we can still have home there because hopefully it's a place of love and a place of family and a place of growth and acceptance and a place of God's presence, right? And, and once you get that right, then suddenly the external things, the, the house, the walls, the garden, the coffee machine, all of that serves a far greater purpose because now the real essence of what it means to be a family is there in presence. Now, in the same way, when it comes to thinking about church, we can very easily, and I can very easily, fall into a trap that your kind of external things are what really makes church, church. So we can have, you know, nice fancy sound systems and, and you know, lights and smoke machines and fancy coffee and uh, nice comfortable chairs and air conditioning. And, and we can start to believe that, man, if we get all of that stuff right, that will make an awesome church. But what good is it if you've got a perfect sounding band and you've got everyone has their perfect espresso-based coffee exactly how they're all tea, for those of you who like tea. (laughs) What good is it if you've got your perfect cup of coffee, your perfect tea, your perfect chair, your your perfect temperature control, reclining chairs, blah, blah. What good is it if you have all of that And the real heart and the real essence of what makes church alive and living and active and vibrant is missing. And so what we're going to be looking today is, well, what ought to be at the center? Because then let's focus our energies there. Now, there's nothing wrong with with great sound. And there's nothing wrong with a great sounding band. And I'll team of volunteers do their absolute best to serve us in this way. There's nothing wrong with great coffee. There's nothing wrong with great chairs. In many ways, it can kind of help the bigger picture. But we want to make sure we're putting our energies in the right place where the real heart and energy is of what makes us church. And suddenly all of these other external things serve a far greater purpose. So that's what we're going to be speaking about today. So um, we are in a part of Colossians. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been really slowly working through the book of Colossians, but it hasn't felt slow because it's really been impactful. It's really been powerful. And I know for you as life groups, it's, it's really taken us on quite a profound and exciting journey. And we're going to continue on that journey. And, and we are on a particular section of Colossians where Paul, who wrote the book, is not so much speaking to you, the individual, you, singular. He is speaking to you, plural. He's speaking to us, the community. And he's trying to paint this picture. What does a community of people who are all about Jesus look like? And how is God shaping us, not only in our homes and in our private lives, how is God shaping us to be that kind of a community. And so last week was kind of the first conversation we've had around this more corporate community element. And it was quite a tough teaching because it's assuming, man, it's not gonna be easy all the time. As much as we try and we put on the character of Christ in our lives, we're gonna bump up against each other. We're gonna get annoyed with each other and we need to learn how to respond with grace and forgiveness in a Jesus-like way in order to preserve 
and be shaped by all that God is doing among us. So that was last week. And if you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and catch up on that. But this week, we are gonna be talking more further about really what ought to be at the heart. And we get that right and everything else should fall into place. Now, before we read, and I promise you we're gonna get there soon, I want you to kind of notice an assumption. And the assumption is this. The assumption is that there is such a thing as a you, plural. It's not just written to a whole bunch of individuals who are going to wake up early in the morning, have a quiet time, submit themselves to God, try and live according to His ways, uh, go to work, come home and, you know, rinse and repeat. He's assuming there's actually this element of Christian life and Christian faith, a central element which involves all of us being and living and doing this thing together. I mean, I've had a number of people ask me over the years, um, whether driven by guilt or not, I, I don't know, but you know, how often should I go to church? Oh, once a month, twice a month, three times a month, you know, twice a Sunday? And, and I've started to realize, I think that is the wrong question because it assumes that church is this thing that I go to and if I go enough, hopefully God is pleased with me. Where I think the right question is something along the lines of what we're gonna be talking about today. I mean, there's really only, and it is important, but there's really only one verse that kind of sounds like a bit of a command to be present in gatherings such as this. But as we read the entire New Testament, there is a massive assumption. And the assumption is this is happening all the time. And therefore, I think the wrong question is, how often must I go to church? I think the right question is, how do I be part of that kind of a community? And as God teaches us what that kind of community looks like, under Him, with Him being among us, what does that look like? What does my role look like? How, how do I be part of and, and play a role and a function and, and, and bring value to this particular community. And part of that is gonna require showing up. Not just showing up on a Sunday morning, but it is gonna require showing up in public ways, showing up in life groups, showing up where there's a need, showing up to serve, showing up where there's an opportunity to impact the community around us, like Sarah just reminded us about this this morning. And thereby I become part of this work of Jesus. And there's a we, there's an us, there's a plural you. And therefore, as we go forward, Paul is assuming that as we are all involved in this community, that there are certain things that need to be priorities among us. And that is what we're gonna be speaking about today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me, Colossians chapter three, verses 16 to 17. We're gonna read it in one go and then unpack it um, as we spend our time together this morning. So Paul writes this, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is the plural you. Dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I've been kind of saying that we can either focus our attention on the external things, the things we do, or we can really try and prioritize what ought to be at the center. So now, if you had to look at these verses, and if you had to try and identify 
What do you think, Paul is trying to say, ought to be the real life-giving force and reality within a community of believers? I mean, even on the, these two verses, there's a lot of good stuff up there. I mean, teaching. Teaching is a valuable part of, of church community life. It, it is one of the ways that God uses to shape His church and to bring more of His presence among us. Uh, we've got this kind of, uh, we've got singing, we've got worship. And again, a very valuable part of our life together as a church. In fact, he kind of almost has like uh, verse 18, it's almost like etc. You know, and, and anything you do, everything you do, you know, whether you do it in thought or word or deed, you go out and you branch out to impact the community, you've got your programs, you've got your coffee. Well, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. So um, amongst all of those good things, what do you think ought to be at the center and I think he actually opens up with these words when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And, and I just want to try and teach us this morning what that is, what that ought to look like, and why that is a central life-giving reality that is going to really make us the church. And whatever we do from that point is going to be extra enriched and extra intentional and purposeful because of uh, what it does among us. I mean, let's think about even some of the things that are on the screen here. What good would it be for me or Craig or whoever else stand up here on a Sunday and teach unless it is fueled by the living, active, life-giving Word of Christ? What good would it be to, to sing, to sing songs and have a band that is a recording quality band if it wasn't fueled by the Word of Christ in your heart and the Word of Christ in the lyrics of the songs and in the hearts of the team members? What good would it be, branch out, to go out into the community and, and try and make a difference unless we're fueled by the life-giving Word of Christ? What good would it be to do anything, all of those things, unless this is ultimately driving us and becoming this living reality among us. At the end of this verse 18, it says, you know, and, and whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I, now I'd argue it means pretty much the same thing. For some of you, the name of Jesus is kind of like a little secret code that you're coming to the end of your prayers. So Lord, thank you for the food and thank you for mom and dad. And in the name of Jesus, amen. By the time you look up, everyone's got their knife and fork ready to go because you gave them the secret cue in the name of Jesus, right? Now, now, for some of you, the name of Jesus is like this magic formula. If you plug it into your prayers, you get what you really want. Doesn't matter what you ask for. Don't forget to just add those words you know, in the name of Jesus. Like they got this inherent power in them. And I'd argue both are distorted understandings of what in the name of Jesus means. You know, when I was younger, I've got no idea. I mean, like Sean said earlier, I really am starting to feel like I'm a belly more than anything else. But when I was younger, we would kind of say, if someone did something that kind of was dumb or stupid, we'd say, no, no, he tossed the name. Meaning he brought disgrace to himself. He, he acted or she acted in a way that brought disregard to their personality and their integrity. And in the same way, we can kind of toss name in the Christian world by doing things that are not befitting the character and the person and the glory and the honor of Jesus. So what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? Well, it means to do the opposite. It means to do things in a way that befits who Jesus is, his character, that kind of is like his 
pointing towards His honor and His glory. And there's a way of doing everything in our waking moments in the name of Jesus. So it's like He was almost doing it Himself. It's kind of like, almost, you know, what would Jesus do? And then our lives become these living realities pointing towards Him. That's what it means to do things in the name of Jesus. So how do we know what those things are? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you because if you do and you kind of become a walking reality of that, everything you do will be in the name of Jesus. So that should be our, our, our central life-giving reality. But now I, I want to kind of spend a few seconds asking this question. For some of you, like Stephen, really, do we need to go down this rabbit hole? Well, go with me. Okay, go with me. What is the Word of Christ? It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Doesn't say let the word, capital W, as in the Bible. Doesn't say let the Bible. Doesn't say let the scriptures dwell in you richly. Now, there are other scriptures that speak of the value of the whole Bible. It says specifically let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, so what does it mean by that? Now, as I've gone and read some commentators who are basically people way smarter than me who, who try and write about the intricacies of what's being written about in Scripture, uh, they kind of said Paul could mean two things by those words, the Word of Christ. The first thing he could mean by that is uh, some of you may have a red-letter Bible. Basically, the Gospels, you open up, you page through, and, and all the red letters refer to the words that came out the mouth of Jesus. So some people say, well, the word of Christ refers to those words. But most commentators, most people, and also understanding that there's a greater context and, and Paul is going to be very consistent with many other things that he says, that when he talks about the word of Christ, it's talking about the word that refers to Christ. So it would include the words that come out of Jesus' mouth, but also it's going to refer to a greater understanding that when you start at Genesis 1 verse 1 and you end at the end of the book of Revelation, that entire book is about Jesus. And you can either read that book thinking it's about you, or you can read that book recognizing it is the Word of Christ. It is about Jesus. Uh, this is something Craig and I try and do every single time we stand up here and preach. It's to show you that this, the Bible is not a, a five-step how-to, how to make better decisions, how to do this, how to be a better this and better that. Look, the Bible gets insanely practical. It's got a lot to say about real life. But the greater picture is it's all about Him. And the more we understand that, the more we get that. I mean, guys, chapter one of Colossians, it's the word of Christ. Go read it. It's these incredible words. And then Paul is struggling with language to try and get us to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. It's the word of Christ. And the more we recognize that these scriptures are there to help us know Jesus and see Jesus better, the more that grows in our heart. It's gonna change us and it's gonna affect everything. And so the word of Christ needs to dwell in us richly. I love this idea of dwell. It means it needs, to, it needs to be a permanent fixture and a permanent place of priority in our hearts. Not kind of like, okay, let me read the Bible. Okay, I've got my two verses, book closed. That's kind of like having a tenant who's only in your house a few days a month. No, 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 let the Word of God, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. It's kind of got a permanent place of priority in your life. And I also love this word richly. Now, what does it mean to be rich? Someone's rich in money, 
What, what does it mean? It means that they have an abundance of material possessions, an abundance of investments, and an abundance of cash. Or what do we mean when we say food is rich? Well, we'll say that, that that food has an abundance, usually of the really dangerous but tasty stuff. So it's got an abundance of fats, an abundance of cream, and an abundance often of sugars. So if the word of Christ is to dwell, have a permanent place of priority in your life, if the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly, it is going, there is going to be an abundance. It is going to be good and there's going to be lots of it. One of the other th things inherent in this idea is that we need to see it as a good, desirable thing. We never say bad things. Or people are rich in bad things. I never say, no, he's so rich in being in a bad mood. Or I felt so rich in loneliness lately. Oh, we talk about rich, you know, it's like things of luxury, things of abundance, things of plentiful, things that are desirable. So in the same way, it's talking about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. There's an abundance, there's an overflow, it's got a permanent place of priority in your life and it is desirable to you. It is not something you have to do just in case God sends you to hell. No, it's something I desire. It is feeling luxurious to me. My taste buds for the words of Christ are being transformed. It is starting to give life. It is starting to give purpose. And as I live out of that space, it literally changes everything about me. And so you may still be thinking about what it looks like in your personal private life. And that's great, and, and we have to process that. But again, stepping back, Paul is actually writing to not, it mustn't just be in you, it mustn't just be in Steve, it mustn't just be, you know, in uh, us as individuals. It needs to be in you, the community. Riverside Community Church, let the Word of Christ dwell, let it have a permanent place of priority amongst us. And let it dwell in us richly. As we do life in community, let there be an overflow. Let there be an abundance of the Word of Christ. And let it, the way we do things, let it be a desirable thing. Something that is life-giving, something that is central, and again, something that is prioritized. Now, if we do that, we recognize that that's going to flow out. That's what having abundance means. It's going to flow out. And when we are excited about something and when something is life-giving to me, I'm not going to keep it to myself. And one of the ways that it flows out, Paul says, listen, it's going to come out in teaching. It's going to come out in admonishing. Very similar things. Basically, teaching is more the positive impartation of what God is saying to us. Um, admonishing is more like warnings and maybe less comfortable, but uh, God, again, is trying to steer us towards life and away from death and sometimes we need a bit of a warning and we've chatted about some of those over the last few weeks. But notice that, again, it's not just let the word of Christ remain in the pastor. Let the sermons be richly filled with the word of Christ, which, as you know, Craig and I really value. Don't just let your songs or don't just let your Sundays be filled, but let your whole lives be filled. So in other words, as, as you are being filled and as you make a permanent priority 
of um, the Word of Christ in your life as it becomes life-giving to you. And again, don't just think data. Don't just think black words on a white page. Think about these words pointing to a real person. As you see these realities in the Bible, you look at Jesus, you see those realities in Him, and you know Him better. The goal of all of this is so that you can know Him better. And as you are being enriched in that way, and as your neighbor is being enriched in that way, and as we are enriched when we do things together in life groups or in our homes or in a Sunday gathering such as that, such as this, suddenly there's this kind of like water table rise of this life-giving reality of Christ among us. Now that places a great responsibility on whoever stands up here to say anything whether it's preaching or, or the worship team or an encouragement like uh, Waza gave us this morning or, or a prophetic word. Because how, what we say and what we emphasize and, and what we try to point our attention and our affections to week after week is going to shape how, how you see the Scriptures. It's going to shape how the Word of Christ kind of takes root in your life as well. So it places a massive responsibility on whoever has the privilege to stand up here and speak but it equally places a massive responsibility on you. Because if this is something we're gonna prioritize and have this permanent place of priority, that means coming to a gathering, coming to a church meeting such as this, listening to God's word being taught, opening up the scriptures for yourself, suddenly it's not something that I have to do, but it's something I'm participating in. I'm actually, I want to have the Word of Christ being a living, life-giving, powerful presence in my life. I want that to nurture my relationship with Jesus. I want to see Him clearer. And so for that reason, when, whenever we listen to someone preach, we're going to be attentive. We're going to be participating because I too want to be enriched to a degree that I also can go and I can teach. It says, to teaching, admonishing one another. There's this overflow there's this place where you are becoming saturated and enriched by this. And you therefore become equipped to be God's voice into one another's lives. Sometimes teaching and building up and sometimes warning. But it is from this place. And that's a great responsibility on us as a church. Now, one of the things that if we get this right, one of the things the word of Christ is going to do if it is holding this permanent place of priority in amongst us is that we are going to grow in wisdom. That's the next thing that comes up in these verses. We're going to grow in wisdom. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom and I really feel like the next few minutes are not going to do any justice to the word of God. However, I'm going to try. There are a bunch of books in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job that people have called wisdom literature. It's a whole genre of wisdom. Now, wisdom in the Bible is it's, it's not just knowledge. See, knowledge is data. And I've said this so many times from up here. It is possible to be full of knowledge and to be empty of Christ. It is possible to have all the right answers but not be following the life and the heart of Jesus. And in fact, the Bible says, wisdom puffs up, sorry, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge on its own makes me arrogant, makes me proud, makes me look down at you, makes me self-righteous. Even though I'm quoting the Bible, right? 
And I would argue the biggest difference between someone who has a head full of Bible knowledge and someone who is actually living, has maybe the same knowledge, but is actually living in a way that befits the character of Jesus, it's this word, it's, it's, it's this quality, it's, it's wisdom. Because wisdom is taking knowledge and saying, but what do I do with it? How do I live it out? What does this look like in reality, this overflow of the word of Christ dwelling in me richly? How does it inform work? And, and, and when the Bible talks about wisdom, man, it talks about work, it talks about money, it talks about sexuality, it talks about relationships, it talks about spiritual reality, all trying to help us work out in very practical ways the word of Christ that is dwelling in us. That's wisdom. Uh, I read this little saying the other day, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing never to put a tomato in a fruit salad. All right, kind of, so, <laughs> so how do we apply that to the word of Christ? One of the ways that the Bible talks about wisdom is that it's also an attribute of God himself. So if we are seeking wisdom, we can't seek wisdom as knowledge or data apart from the presence of God. It is part of who God is. The Bible, in fact, says that God created with wisdom. So by seeking godly wisdom, we are tapping into the very presence and the character of Christ. I was actually chatting with someone after the service last week, and we got talking about this topic of wisdom. And we were saying, you know, you and I, we want the easy way out. Just give me the answer. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right now, we're just talking, like imagine theoretically, imagine theoretically someone wrote a book like the Bible, but there would have to be kind of like 30, you know, part one, part two, part 30, all right? And somehow this person was able to think through every possible life circumstance that we could ever find ourselves in. And let's say, it's kind of like the Google of wisdom. <laughs> let's say, you're like, well, what must I do now? Mm, that's volume 30, page 365. Oh, that's what I must do. And imagine we could do life in that way. Would that grow you in wisdom? The answer is no. Right, because you're just blindly, robotically doing what you've been told. Whereas when God wants to grow wisdom in you, because it's an attribute of him, it's gonna be as a consequence of pushing into him, allowing him to influence you and shape how you see, shape how you think. It's gonna mean kind of conforming to some of the clear things that are there about what we should and shouldn't be doing and living joyfully in that space. And suddenly the Bible kind of talks about wisdom in this way that it's gonna be this intuitive thing that grows. Where I start getting insight into me. I start getting insight into God's word. I start getting insight into God's character, into life, into situations, all situations. And suddenly as I kind of, you know, there's certain parts of life, there's no chapter in verse four, but I start doing things in a way that befits the character and person of who Jesus is. The Bible would call that Wisdom. Now, this is something that I think I read these verses to you a number of months ago. Wisdom, this kind of wisdom is something that Paul, who wrote many of the books of the New Testament under the inspiration of God, wisdom is something Paul really, 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 really wants for us. In fact, in the opening chapters of three of his major books, he prays for wisdom. 
And notice, again, it's not just wisdom for financial investments or wisdom, you know, uh, uh, how should I spend my money? But rather, it's this kind of way of having insight into the fabric of reality, somehow influenced and informed by the presence and the wisdom of God, and I start living in that space. But notice how it's not something that's automatically developed. So here's the way Paul prays for us for wisdom. And this is something I pray for me. This is something I regularly pray for you. But here's the, the, uh, the verse from Ephesians. So it's the opening chapter. Paul is praying for this church. And one of the things he prays for, he says, I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, what I don't have on the screen are the following words. And he says, so that you may know him better because if we are pushing into the person of Jesus his words are dwelling in us richly Uh, that has to have an outflow in how I do life and suddenly Paul's saying that's got to change how I see and I'm going to start making decisions that actually appear like wisdom but Paul needs, uh, God needs to do this. So God gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The next book, Philippians 1 verses 9 to 10. Opening chapter, Paul is praying for this church as well. And he says this, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. The word knowledge is not dates, it's not facts. It's the knowledge of the persons, knowledge of Jesus. That your love may abound, again, overflow, abundance, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may may be able to discern what is best. And in the book of Colossians, we actually read this verse a number of weeks ago. Same thing, opening chapter. Paul is praying for this church and he says, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom, wisdom imparted by the spiritual presence and power of God. So how do we grow in this wisdom? Well, this verse that we've been reading today answers that question. Let the word of Christ dwell in you favorably, desirably, richly. May there be an abundance. And as that points us towards the reality of who Jesus is and his presence in me and among us, that is gonna inform how I take almost every single step. And so when I teach, I'm gonna teach with that kind of wisdom. And as I even admonish, and maybe as you maybe need to confront somebody about something that's a warning, it's gonna be done with this kind of wisdom. And as we do worship, it's gonna be with wisdom. And in fact, it doesn't matter what you say or do, it's gonna be done in the name of Jesus. And we could say it's gonna be done wisely with this kind of God-given wisdom. See, not only is wisdom this way of seeing reality, and not only is it an attribute of God himself, the New Testament actually says that Jesus is, this is a person, Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Therefore, again, how do I grow in that kind of wisdom? Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? Now, the way 
this verse kind of concludes, it's assuming that if, if this is a reality among us, if we are growing with the word of Christ, dwelling us richly, the presence of Christ, his, his, uh, I'm, I'm knowing him better, uh, his spirit is giving me new ways of seeing and understanding, uh, I'm starting to live in a different way. We are being shaped differently, we are teaching differently, we are worshiping differently. The, 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 that last thing that I said is gonna be a natural outflow of this abundance in me. It's gonna be worship. Because if everything I've said up to this point in time is my lived reality and our lived reality, if my life is being filled to a point of overflow with the presence and the words of Jesus' rich reality, and if the same is true in our gathered meetings such as this, and the same is true of our homes, and the same is true of our life groups, there's one thing that we cannot but to do, and that's gonna be worship because I'm gonna be seeing Jesus more clearly. I'm gonna be knowing him more clearly. And if that happens, it's almost like, how can you not worship? How can you not sing? How can you not express that? Um, many of you know that towards the end of last year, uh, Bianca and I, we took a couple of months of sabbatical. And uh, one of the things that, that we did, we went to the States and we spent a couple, some time with a couple of churches there, wonderful time. But as we were going from Nashville, Tennessee, and we were driving to North Carolina, where we were going to spend the second half of our trip. Along the way, we were very privileged. It was a gift of some of our friends in the States. We were very privileged to stop by a little town called Gatlinburg, which is in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And, and so we spent some time and we spent some night in Gatlinburg and just walking the drag and having something to eat and, and really unique place. But then the next day we needed to be by South Carolina by the late evening. So we had about five, six hours to spend driving around the Smoky Mountains. And, and man, <laughs> every single bend of the road, Bianca and I were just like, wow. Take another bend, wow. And it's like, can it get more beautiful? And like, yes, it does get more beautiful. It was winter, it was snowing lightly. I mean, you guys know, I love trout fishing. Now, the stream's there. There's a stream there called the Pigeon River and you could drive past and see the stones at the bottom of the river. It's crystal clear. And later, I only found out that, man, that is a beautiful way, uh, place to, for trout and, and for fishing, but we didn't have the time. Point being, Every bend of the road, wow, wow, wow. Then we drove into the Smoky Mountains where we actually went on this little drive you go on to possibly spot black bears. Now, we never saw any black bears, but as we're driving through this little drive, again, we just like, wow, wow, wow. Um, there were these mountains in the background and, and, and they were less kind of peaky and, and rocky and more like rounded and trees had kind of made it all the way to the top of these mountains but there was snow covering that part of the mountains. So they kind of looked like these fluffy mountains in the background. And I literally, we just like opened the window, click, open, click, click, click. And, and afterwards, you're like looking through these photos, we're like, have you ever experienced that? You take a photo of something beautiful, a beautiful sunset, and what's the first thing you think? This doesn't do the reality justice. And like, oh, I really wish I could just help people see how beautiful this place was. But that's something that really good photographers can do. With the right equipment and the right skills and the right know-how, they can take a photo that when you see it on your TV screen or your computer or a, a, you know, a full page spread in a book, you and I, we're not there, but we look at this photo and we also go, wow, that's beautiful, right? And in the same way, that is what ought to fuel our worship. Where you and I are arriving here on a Sunday after a week of going, wow, Jesus is good. 
seeing him, knowing him, experiencing his life in me. And there has to be an overflow. There has to be an expression. We have to put something out there and say, look, look how good he is. And that is called worship. And then we've got people like skilled photographers, to stick with that metaphor, we've got people who write songs skillfully and take the words of Christ and put them to good music that somehow befits the kind of message of the song. We've got skilled musicians who come and they add this emotive thing called music that, that move our hearts and our emotions and our mind towards who Jesus is. And, and on a Sunday morning, or whether you're playing an acoustic guitar on a life group or doing it on a YouTube video, we're saying, look, look. And there's clarity and there's energy. And we're like, yes, he is good. I mean, I, I don't understand how, how we as as Christians can get there on a Sunday and just like, you know, like, really? Are you getting it? And again, I think sometimes because you make it about the outside things. Oh, you know, the mix wasn't that great today. Oh, someone was singing out of tune. Oh, it was cold. Oh, coffee wasn't that great. Oh, and because of that, I couldn't worship Jesus. For the Christian who's pushing into this, they are so fueled by this reality that needs, that warrants expression and joy and emotion. Whether the power cuts and you've got someone up here playing an acoustic guitar and we can't even hear properly and we're trying to get you to switch on the app and find the words on your phone uh, or it's cold or maybe something else has gone wrong and it's just a bit frustrating. But because of that real reality, Man, we worship. See, we get that right, then all the other things actually serve a greater purpose, right? I love how this verse concludes. We sing, we worship with songs, hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in our hearts. In other words, we come together. There's a reality in me. In fact, the word there in Greek is actually grace. There's, there's grace. And grace, by definition, is what God gives they, I am filled with what God gives. And what does God love giving? Himself. He wants us to be filled and saturated with Himself, with the presence of His power and, and His spirits and His words and His life-giving presence. And if my heart and your heart is filled and saturated, permanent place of priority, right? And we come together and man, how can we not sing and mean it and exert every ounce of strength and passion into those moments? And so in a second, we're gonna have an opportunity to do that again. So just as I wrap up, I'm gonna invite the team up here. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this reality. He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyments. Again, assuming because you enjoy Jesus, we take delight in expressing that. I heard one pastor say, you know, someone went up to him and said, I don't enjoy your worship today. He says, no, that's fine, because it wasn't about you. So here's a big question 
to leave us with as we are going to now sing. And the question is this, everything that I've said, and I mean, just the whole flow of, of what we've been talking about this morning. The big question for you is this, and it's about your desires. Do you want this? Now, I know that in a room such as this, there are people on all sorts of positions of our journey. Some of you may, maybe you're here and you would not even self-identify as a Christian. And we're so glad that you're here. And we always hope that something of God becomes real to you. Some of you are brand new Christians. Some of you have been on a journey for 30, 40 years. Some of you feel like you've kind of backsliding. And maybe some of you feel like you've lost some of that initial joy and passion. Regardless of where you're at, this big question, this that I spoke about, is that desirable to you? You see, what we sometimes like to do is, is read the Scriptures, try and understand them, try and teach them, and then try to give you some practical handles, tools, tips and tricks, just to kind of help solidify your thinking and, and really take this idea and put it into reality. And as I started thinking about this part of the, the message, I was like, I don't know what tips and tricks to give you. Because the reality is this, if you don't want this, and I gave you five tips and tricks to kind of get this right in your life, you're just gonna ignore it, right? Or if you do do it, it's gonna feel like, because I have to, this compulsion. But if you do desire this reality, this life-giving experience of God's presence among us, you don't need five tips and tricks because it's gonna change everything. Every time you read the Word of God, you're not just trying to tick off a box and hope that God notices. You're gonna be absorbing it for the life-giving reality that it is. Every time you pray, you're not gonna be just giving this God this list of things that you hope He does in your life. Rather, you're gonna be experiencing a relationship, a life-giving relationship with Him because that's what you desire. And when we get together, instead of, oh, I have to go to church. No, no, no. I get to be part of this kind of community that God is shaping by His very presence. Right? It changes everything. I wonder if there's anyone here for the, that's, this for the first time is like, you're like, oh, that's what church is about. Maybe up to this point in time, maybe you've been a Christian 20 years or 20 seconds. You're like, I thought being a Christian was, I don't go to hell. I need to try to be a good person and I'll try to go to church as often as I can. And you're like, sure, but this that you're talking about, that, that's different. That's deeper, that's more profound, that's more compelling, that's more exciting. And, and that's actually what I want. That's what I think church should be about. And so again, do you want this so to help create an environment whereby you get to make an active choice it's a choice of the heart where do your desires lie we're going to sing a song which does exactly what we've spoken about a song that points towards the living beautiful powerful reality of Jesus among us what he has done who he is there's the words of Christ that are informed by the words of God, the words of, God, of the Bible. 
but they're not just passive words. They're a, a reality about a real person and His real presence and power. But we get to add emotion, heart, passion, song, music, desires to those words. And I invite us all that as we sing, obviously I'm praying with everything in me that you choose this. Yes, Lord, I want that. So church, please would you stand? I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna, we're gonna worship. We're gonna worship. Father, you are so, you are so good. This is life that you want for us. You want the wisdom of the presence of God among us. You want our lives to better reflect the character and the honor of the name of Jesus. You want to give us insights. You want to give us understanding. You want us to know your son, which is the real life-giving, powerful expression and expression of who you are among us. So Holy Spirit, we submit our desires to you and we proclaim now in song to choose you, to choose this life, to prioritize you. And even as we do that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insights. I pray we'd see you more clearly. Our hearts would yearn for you more passionately. And we would desire to express that with our heart and mind and strength. Amen.